This next speaker, I'm sure you have seen, if you haven't, at a trade show or a talk or a video or a podcast, and you've probably been living under a rock. This is Mark Kudre, who runs Catalyst Program, and he really specializes on helping to grow your business, not only from a kind of smart way and a practical way, but also a database way. And I personally love picking his brain, um, as Mark has so much knowledge from 30 plus years of-, of 47. Okay, <laughs> out of industry experience. So he's just unbelievably helpful and I'm really, really happy to have him here. So everybody give a round of applause for Mark Kudry. All right, thank you very much. So since this uh, presentation is on growth, I wanna share something with you. I started my first company um, at 19 and that was 47 years ago next week. That's why I kind of was like right there. Um, but when I graduated from college, and I actually have a degree in essentially printing engineering, I was one of those rare people that actually studied something that they ended up with. And I went to college specifically because I knew that I was gonna be in screen printing and I would have an impact by applying science and analytic kinds of things to it. So when I graduated, I literally took my last final and I, I left the campus and went to the bank and signed the loan papers on my first automatic press in 1977. Whoa. And that was huge because that press and that loan for the equipment was twice what my parents' house cost them. And they thought I was out of my frickin' mind. You're gonna print t-shirts and you're buying this equipment that you're gonna pay for in five years that costs twice what our house is? It was such a mentality of um, an employee mentality and not an entrepreneur. So uh, when I did that, my sales in the company, I was running my business full-time while I was going to school. And in today's dollars, I went from roughly 200,000 to 4.8 million in 18 months. It was a rocket ride. So I've experienced the highs and the lows of growth. I almost put myself out of business because I ran out of cash. I didn't understand the cash cycle. I was doing rock and roll printing and it was just 20 hours a day every day. So when Bruce asked me to talk about growth hacking, you know, or ways to grow your business quickly or stimulate your growth, all those kinds of things. I thought originally that I was going to talk about uh, from the perspective of old guy talking to the young guy. What if, what if I could talk to myself when I was 25 or 23? What would, what would I today say to my younger self? And so, some of those things are, are what I'm gonna talk about today, and they'll provide some perspective for you. Everybody's growth track is different. Today's economy is a different economy than when I started. This is the digital economy today. And when I say the digital economy, we're not talking about social media and e-commerce, that kind of thing. We're talking about the unit of one. Everything now is addressable via database and data analytics and its personalization at the unit level. We've all seen the order sizes drop over the last years, the last 10 years or so, it's been a slow decline. Now we're seeing the rise of DTG and you know companies like Amazon with 120 coordinate machines, competitors on the internet, which just, just no, is nothing more than another channel to sell through. But it's changing the way that we look at our business. So today, what I'd like to do is challenge some of your beliefs. And I kind of feel like I'm the warm-up back for Mike. Um, I'm a profit-first professional. 
uh, as well. In fact, I just finished doing a podcast uh, for Mike uh, that dropped on Thursday on lifetime customer value. So it, it, the podcast is uh, growing your accounting practice or GMAP. So it's definitely worth listening to because it's got a lot of the stuff I'm going to talk today, but in detail. And so I wanted to talk about probably four or five things that are different and the key elements of that. The, the three main things that I'd like to talk about are things that we're all faced with. All of you, at least this is what I hear, you can tell me, short of time. We're running, putting out fires right and left. We're you know, dealing with all these high maintenance customers, high demand, low profitability, the market is commoditized. Um, there's always a low, low cost uh, competitor out there. We're dealing with price cutters and you know, trying to get into a marketplace that we can compete and be profitable. And yet with the pressure on price pushing everything down, there's nothing left over. So we pay ourselves less than we deserve and we don't show the profit that we deserve, right? So the key for us here is three things. The first thing is the growth. How do we, how do we grow and grow profitably with positive cash flow? The second thing is time. And my key thing is return on time. So you can call it ROT, but whatever you want to call it, it's how do we use the time that we have. The key here is we don't have enough time. At least we think we don't have enough time. I'm going to show you a couple of ways that you can increase the amount of time that you have in a big, big way to the point where my view on time and my view on growing the business completely changed. In the beginning, when I was stressed out and I was working 100 hours a week, like many of you are today, um, I realized that as I was growing, right, I'm growing up, there's a shadow curve, there's a shadow line right behind that, and that's time. So the more business that I had, the more time I was putting into the business. I changed my thinking, and now I think that it's more like a like a teeter-totter, a seesaw, seesaw, you know, like you'd see at a playground. So as the business grows, there's a corresponding reduction in the amount of time that I spend. So if I grow 25%, then I have to reduce my time in the business by 25%. It's counterintuitive. You don't think that way normally. But when you start forcing yourself to think that way, the possibilities become very enlightening. And all of a sudden, we begin to differentiate ourselves from everybody else that's out there saying, we have the best quality, the lowest price, the fastest turnaround, you know, those indistinguishable things that our previous speaker was talking about. There's time and then there's profit. If you're not dropping 15 to 20% of your top line sales in net profit after you paid yourself, we got to talk because you're working in an environment where you literally have not configured the business. You're not running the business in such a way that you are profit capable. It's an interesting term, profit capable. So, um, let me trademark that. Um, so, if you don't have the capacity to generate profit, all you're doing is being busy, being busy. It's a cycle, it's a cycle that you can't win. I've only got a few things. Uh, so, the key thing here, growth. You know, why growth stalls? I, I, basically shut my manufacturing business down after 38 years in 2011. Through a number of circumstances, you know, Rick yesterday was talking about mistakes that he's made and things like that. Sometimes mistakes are fatal. 
and I, in my company, in my particular situation, it was a combination of um, expansion at the wrong time, the recession, and a catastrophic medical catastrophe within the family. One right on top of the other. Now, the, the build out on the new building was 850000 which was all my money. I didn't borrow any money from the bank, so it was all my money. Then we hit the recession, which caused us to um, lose 62% of our revenue after I moved into a building that increased my overhead from 40000 a month to over 100000 a month. So I put another $480,000 in 12 months into the business to keep it alive. So basically, I burned through all of my available cash. And then we had this sickness in the family. And um, unfortunately, it was a, a, a terminal situation. But for the next two years, because of the way the insurance situation was set up in the country, um, my son, who had gotten sick, he exceeded all of his medical insurance, so we had to literally come up with money to pay for his treatments. So we liquidated all of our assets, we lost our buildings, we, we were foreclosed on illegally, and you know, it was just a downward spiral. If, if anything bad could happen, it could happen. And when it was all over, I stepped back and looked at the rubble, and I said to myself, what the hell happened here? Right, I'm a, I've been in business 38 years, I had money in the bank, I had seven figures of money in the bank, and I really, and I had commercial property, and you know, I, I really thought we were doing well, and we were doing well. But the errors that I found when I did this forensic analysis of my own business is if I'd been hired as a consultant, the problems I found with my business are the same problems that every single one of you in the room have. But you can't see them because you're too busy with their day-to-day -day things. So this caused me to look at the business differently. And the, what I found was that the reason business stalls is that you need three things to make a business work. You have the operations side, which is, in our case, embroidery or printing t-shirts or uh, promotional products. It's what we sell. Then we have the sales and marketing side, and that's to get the orders, whatever we have to do to do that. And then the third part of it is the finance and the admin. That's the HR, it's the um, SOPs, the standard operating procedures, the processes, and all that kind of stuff. And all three of those have to be in balance. When they are, the business grows. And you're gonna hit five plateaus between $10 million. 360,000 annual, 1 million annual, 3 million annual, 5 million annual, and then 10 million. The business at each one of those is completely different. And so what worked up till that point is gonna stop working and you're gonna see a, either a flattening or a decline in the profitability. And the reason is, is because each one of these areas either collectively or one at a time has gone out of balance. You know, you don't have enough people to work, right? You're running overtime. Your cost, your labor cost goes up. Mistakes happen because people are more tired. You know, you're, you're short on cash, so you're having to buy um, stock in the market at a higher price than you normally would. You can't take discounts. So all of a sudden, these internal factors come into play. So these three things are really, really critical. And we've got to balance them. And so the difference is, is being able to look into the future and say, I'm heading towards a million, or I'm heading towards three million, or I'm heading towards um, 350, 360,000. Uh, what happens when I get there? And it's knowing what happens when you get there that, that's the key thing, because now you have what I call brake lights on the freeway. You see those brake lights coming on before they, you actually get there. So with those lights coming on half a mile, a mile, 
in this case it would be you know three months, six months, nine months in advance, we can make decisions before they happen. So essentially we're ready to make a decision that doesn't slow us down when we get to that point. 80-20 Pareto. You know, we heard our last speaker say that 20 years ago, 80-20 became, you know, uh, a driver where we started to realize that we needed to focus on our customer instead of trying to just sell more. Boy, I tell you, that cannot be more prophetic because that's going to be what I'm going to talk about right now in several different ways. Um, so 80-20 is really a core skill that you need to learn how to develop in your business. And there are several really excellent books in the marketplace. One is called 80-20 for Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall. Phenomenal book. Absolutely phenomenal. And you can go to perrymarshall.com and get it for like a buck. Otherwise you can buy it on Amazon for like 25. And you'll be on his mailing list and he's gonna pommel you with that. So it's 80-20 for Sales and Marketing. And then there's 80-20 um, for Business by Richard Koch, C-O-C-H. And he was the very first one to originally study it in depth. And it's a little bit academic, but it's super valuable. Those two books right there will give you a fundamental understanding of how 80-20 works and um, will help you to make some decisions. So R-T-I-N, who knows what that stands for? Anybody? This is the key for you. The riches are in the niches, right? The riches are in the niches. It's kind of a, you know, catchy little marketing kind of slogan kind of a deal, but it's critically important. I see so many companies that want to be all things to all people, right? They're doing schools, they're doing events, they're doing family reunions, they're doing corporate business, they're doing uniforms, they're doing live printing, they're doing stores, they're, you know, they're all over the place because they're under the false assumption that all business is good business, right? So think about it this way. If I was, you know, a prospector and I was looking for gold, do you think that I would just go around picking up every stone, every piece of rock that I found on the ground, looking at it and say, that's, is that gold? No, that's not gold, right? I'd hire a geologist and I would hire a geologist that was, that was knowledgeable in rock formations. And you would say, your probability of gold is best in this type of formation because there's quartz in this area and approximately 300 feet down. You've got a target. You know what you're looking for. You know the probability is there. And getting back to that return on time, the effort that you spend trying to develop in that niche is, gonna, is, is critical, right? 80-20 is gonna tell you that when you focus on your niche, and I'm, I usually do three to four niches to create diversity in your business. When you look at those niches, you're gonna become extremely knowledgeable about the customer, the procedures, the practices, what's expected, what's not expected, the usage of the product, how you're gonna package it and deliver it. If it's for events on the outside, you're gonna find that you'll have extra services you can sell, like folding and bagging, and special packaging, like single units of uh, size by an individual box. So that they can stack those boxes up at the venue and know exactly how many mediums and how many smalls and how many larges they've got. The average person would say, here's your bulk fold shirts for your event and uh, see you later. But because you're making it easy for them to sell and creating extra value for them in steps that take time out of it for them, 
we're able to get extra money out of that. And that makes a huge, huge difference because the key area for us, for growth, for successful growth, is about differentiating yourself from everyone else. And my philosophy is, let's create a situation where you don't have competitors. You, you don't have anybody that can compete with you, right? A good example would be, everybody hates nylon jackets, to print multicolor on nylon jackets, right? Nobody wants to do that. If you become a specialist in nylon jackets, multicolor nylon jackets, every printer that was your competition now becomes a salesman for you because they're gonna bring every jacket order that they've got to you because they know you, you know how to handle it and you can do it right and there's no misprints and it's a high ticket item which means that you can charge a lot more for the print. So where contract printing may get 50 or 60 or 80 cents a unit, you're gonna get $8 or $10 a unit because you're printing a specialized way that nobody else can do. So the two things that happen when you specialize in a niche is that you eliminate your competition and you're able to sell at the highest price you've ever sold before. And my experience has been that that's six to nine gross margin points. So if you're looking at a business that's doing 90,000 or that's doing a, a million dollars a year, that's, a that's an additional 60 to $90,000 of profit above what you would already, already be targeting for. So time, let's talk about time. Creating Einstein time, right? Einstein was very famous for the law of relativity. And when he came up with law of relativity, he said that time and space are relative to each other. So if we're all running in a race, it seems like we're all going at the same speed. But compared to somebody that's standing on the, on the uh, sidewalk or walking on the sidewalk, we're going much faster. So where this comes into play for us is how we, the decisions that we make on spending time during the day. If you look at your, your day, and it's like I'm busy all day long. You know, I come to work and I don't slow down. Sometimes I look up and it's like five or six o'clock and I haven't even had lunch yet. I'm just busy, busy, busy. So what I do that's helped me a lot is that whenever I'm in a situation um, where time is sped up, there's a lot of things that are going on, I find something where time is really slow. So for instance, imagine if you were going to the dentist and you hate going to the dentist and you've got a toothache and, and he's gonna charge you a whole bunch of money and you're gonna sit in that chair and you, know, you don't want that to go as fast as possible but it doesn't, it goes as slow as possible. You, you look at that clock and it goes tick, right? It's not moving. So what I do is I find things that, that take a lot of time like that, that are painful, that are slow. And the, the thing that works for most people, not everyone, but for most people, is losing weight. So go on a diet. If you're gonna force your, if you wanna slow time down, number one, go one size smaller on your clothes and go on to a diet. So you're physically uncomfortable in your clothes and, you're, and the, the time between eating goes slower. So what it does is it forces your awareness of the time that you've got during the, the day and you're more aware of making good decisions on how you're spending that time. So that concept is matching something that would normally take a long time that you wouldn't want to be in with something that's pressuring you to, for, to speed the time up. Balancing the two, two at the same time will give you the feeling and the sense of awareness that it's opening up. So this next discussion is gonna take a few slides and 
it's really important. Question is, who are you doing business with right now? Who's your customer? How many customers do you have? How many people in the room right now could raise your hand and tell me to the customer how many customers you're currently doing business with? So I've got two people that, wrote, that raised their hand, right? We've got 200 people here. Two people that you don't even know who you're doing your business with. Are they the right customers? How do we know if they're the right customer, right? We don't have criteria. We have nothing, no way to measure. So I'm going to show you how to determine exactly where your potential is and at the same time open up 75% of your time. If we were to go around and, and look at your business right now and the owner of each business, you think about it yourself, you have certain values that you believe. You have a certain way of doing business. Do you treat each customer the same? No? No? Well, let's say a couple saying no. Well, think about it. In the, on the whole of all your customers, the vast majority of the customers, do you treat them the same? Do you tell them it's the same order? turnaround time, that the same selection, right? There's a few people say no, but most of the people are like, what the heck, right? Well, here's how you tell. Take your customer list and sort it from lowest to highest annual sales. So you're gonna say, we're gonna use 100 out of this list. So 100 clients, you're gonna have your top clients and it's gonna go down to the bottom. We take those clients after it's been sorted and divide them into quarters. So at 20, the lower 25, 25% you make a cut, at 50 customers you make a cut, at 75 you make a cut, and then you have your last 75. And you put them side by side. There's the quarter, each one represents a list of 25 or 50 or 100 or 500 or whatever it is for you. Tier one, is going to represent 89% of your annual sales. The second tier is going to represent 7% of your sales. Now these are numbers I didn't make up. They hold within about 2 or 3%. So I've looked at about 160 different customer lists now over the last couple of years. The lowest I've seen is about 87%. The highest I've seen in that first tier was 96 now, if you think about the original question I asked you, which was how much, how do you treat your customer? The majority of people will say we treat each customer the same. We have a certain level of performance that we do. There's a certain level of expectation that we have. And my response to that is in looking at the orders when the orders come in, tier three is 3%, tier four is 1%. When we analyze that further, the first two tiers that represent 4% of your sales are net losers. This should not be a surprise to anybody in this room. Small orders are eating your lunch, right? And you're gonna, you're gonna see just how bad it is. I had one customer recently, one of my clients, my coaching clients, they've been in business 75 years. We did this analysis. They had really good accounting, really good costing. We could see uh, gross margins on every job. They had gross margins on every customer. And so when we analyzed the, the, the group, we said, look, if you stop doing business with the lower 75% of your customers 
and didn't change your overhead, didn't lay any people off or do anything, but you just stopped doing business with those people, your profit would be $57,000 higher for no extra work. And a bunch of employees are hanging around going, hey, what the heck do I do, right? Well, in the course of a year, it took us a year to straighten things out because they were slow to make decisions on cutting back. But their workforce now is 50% less than it was before. And they went from losing $25,000 a month in the first year to break even. It took us a year to do that. So they had a $300,000 drop in the bottom line as we began this transition. Six months into year two, they're already at $300,000 of net profit with half the number of people. And they're going, we don't have any overtime. We're not working hard. What's going on? We, this can't be possible. And the reason is, is because we changed their mix on what they were doing. The third, that third group there that's yellow is break even. So you have loss, loss, and break even. The only ones that are profitable is the last tier, right? And this is the killer part. This is the killer part. The gross margin in that top tier client was 50% higher than the gross margin in the lower tier. So the lower guys are taking more time, they're generating less money, and they had a lower gross margin, and it was being subsidized by your best customers. So it completely changed our way of looking at our customer base. And they have the potential to grow. If you look at the first three tiers, or the first four tiers, right? Tier four, tier three, and tier two. We look at those three. Those are what I call the minnows, right? Baby minnows grow up to be fat minnows. Tier one are whales. Baby whales grow up to be big whales. There's a big difference, is that the, the clients and the customers that are in tier one have the capacity to grow at least 25% per year. And they're, they have a much higher average ticket price. Their average sales price is much higher. So you're dealing with longer runs with higher margin and the potential to grow. So very quickly you begin to rearrange the entire mix of what you're doing. Now think about this, if you spend all that time for 11% of your sales and you stop doing that, now you've got 75% of your time to spend with your best customers. What would you do with that? How could you transform the experience with your customer and give them new things and new ideas and new service levels and added additional value? It, it's phenomenal what it can actually do. You can deliver a service that nobody can compete with. And because they're already at a higher margin, they're already your best customers, the loyalty level is really high. All of the customer churn are in the lower three tiers. And that lower three tier churn is 50%. So 50% of those new customers are new customers every single year. That's really not a good place. That's the lowest profitability is the first year of a client. I have a question. A question. Yes. When I look at this, and you've got good analytics, but this is also how pharmaceutical companies decide what vaccines and cures to go after. And someone who's suffering 1%, say, hey, you know, there's not enough money to, to be made there. So maybe I can't compare directly pharmaceuticals to screen printing, but what would you say in terms of, you know, looking at the pure numbers versus factors outside of that? Number, number one, 
the riches are in the niches, right? So if you pick niches, you can rearrange this mix. This is an unsegmented mix based on your current model. I'm not saying cut everybody off, but you have to decide who your ideal client is. If you don't know who your ideal client is and you want to be a benefactor, in other words, you want to be a philanthropist and donate money, you can follow this model, right? If you would rather see more money in your pocket and be focusing on a better customer experience, which is better for everybody around, then focus on, on the analytics of a, of a niche and knowing that each person in that niche, each company in that niche can grow. That's what you're after. We're after growth here. That's what this, this uh, presentation is about. And it's, it's different for every single person. I'm not judgmental about direction that people have. Sometimes it's based on a relationship. There are certain kinds of things that we will do because we want to contribute to the community. If it's a nonprofit, if it's a, a, a youth group, if it's doing something, we, do, we make donations. We've, we have the ability to do that. But what I want you to do is be aware of where that is so that you're not trapping yourself and not being aware that you're trapping yourself. A conscious decision. Pardon me? What's the conversation you have with that customer in tier three or four? Well, most of them, 50% of them are going to go away just by attrition, right? They're going to be shopping for price. If somebody comes in and says, what's your cheapest price on X, Y, Z? Our conversation is done, right? I know where my value comes from, and if my value proposition doesn't match theirs, I just basically don't have the conversation. And here's the, here's the really, if you really want to be strategic about this, this sounds a little bit cold, but it's, it works really well. Look at your competitors and look at who is doing business with your competitors. Who are their tier one customers? They beat you up on price, send every single person that's price driven to your competitor, bury them with minutia and solicit their best customers. Take their whales and give them minnows. That's a smart move, yes. There's, we deal with a lot of bigger organizations, non-government type organizations, and a lot of the ordering comes from different departments within this. Right. Some of them are tier four, three, and two, right. and some of those departments are one. But if you, I don't know, I'm just... There's collected, collectively, this is a generalization okay. that works for most. So another comment I've got is my biggest customer is BN, BSN or whatever it is. There's some kind of an athletic contract printer. And we do $275,000 a year with those guys, but the average order is $135. So they're collectively, though, the hugest amount, but individual order, they're made up of all tiny orders. So how do you deal with that? Well, that's specialization in a niche. You be, get, get really good at handling their orders and take all the friction out of it. If you're in a corporate situation like that, <laughs> there are other strategies that we can develop to support the areas that you're doing business with them. Some of it is contractual, where you can get a blanket contract for the entire organization and become the sole supplier for it. There's, there are many different strategies that we can use. So the key thing here for you is the takeaway I want from you is, is awareness. To really to take a look at your business, look at how your business is doing right now. If you're not growing at the rate that you want and you're not as profitable as you want, this is one of the reasons why. So 75%. Uh, you're spending 75% of your time for 11% of your re of your revenue. So I knew I would, we were going to be short on time um, for this, and I knew there was going to be questions. So those are the, the takeaways that I want you to have, is knowing who your customers are, focus on 
three to four niches and dominate those niches so that you can eliminate your competition and migrate your customers from being uh, net loss and break even to highly profitable and to, to send them over to your competitors. Yes? Okay, so we are a, a smaller company and we serve our community and few surrounding communities. What if one of those in the 321 tiers, you turn away because they're, they're you know, on the lower end and they're a brother or a sister or a coworker of one of your tier one people and then you you they you take that person off and then that high volume customer then goes away because you just made one of their brothers or sisters or aunts or whatever right man. so we can manufacture any kind of story that we want right we can create we literally can create any kind of scenario that we want don't kid yourself. If you've got somebody that you know is working that's a tier one customer, and this person's a tier three and they're a real pain in the neck to do business with, but you know that you would lose a tier one customer, then you, then you look at it as cost of sales. You look at it as cost of doing business to keep that tier one customer, right? And one of the ways that you can beat this is to change your level of service. So you can say, if you're a tier one customer, you know, if you fall into this category, which is number of unit sizes, uh, type of garment, all these different kinds of things, you can make it a six-week delivery, right? This is our delivery because we're so busy with bigger orders. And at that point, it's like, hey, up your game or take your business someplace else, you know? And, and then that's where you recommend your competitors so that you can vary them with their small orders, right? Yes? Mark, there's a conversation around nurturing customers in those tier twos and threes to become the tier one. Because we, we heard someplace yesterday about the fact that, and we, we've experienced it, sometimes it's three years to get to that tier one. That's correct. To start working with a customer. So, so again, this comes down to understanding your targeting and the niche that you're in. So I'm, I understand completely the value of a, of a client that's growing. There's a qualification period. You know, I look at it and say, does this client have the potential to grow 25% per year? That's the first cut that I can do. Then I, I look at how they're using the shirts. If they're using the shirts as a utility, which is basically staff or information or something like that where the shirt gets worn once and it's a really inexpensive shirt, we don't have a lot of room to move. But when we move up the level, to where it's an emotional purchase, where, where it's a shirt that is tying somebody to an event or a belief, a cause, um, you know, a community, a sense of belonging, all of those things command a higher purchase price because there is emotion associated with that. And I could spend a whole day just talking about the psychology of positioning and pricing and all that. There's a, there's a ton of stuff. I've, I normally do this in a two and a half day program to fully develop all these areas. So I can only touch on a, a few of the surface issues of what it is gonna be with you. My goal with every small business that I work with, and I generally work with businesses that are uh, zero to 10 million, because that's the majority of businesses in this country. My largest current client right now is 50 million, and then I, I just did a proposal for another company at 165 million. So these concepts work at every different level, and it works in every industry, and it works at every different size. So even if you're a small shop doing 200,000 a year or 100,000 a year, the principles still apply. They're just scaled down to a, 
a level that's appropriate for who you are. And really what it comes down to is where do you want to go with your business? It's not all about money. For a lot of people, it's about how much money do I need to have 50% of my time free to do other things. So I look at it from return on time, because if it opens up more time, then I can have a more balanced lifestyle and I can do the things that I want, whether it's volunteer or time with the kids, time for travel, whatever it is. Okay? Any other questions? All right. Okay, I hope this is uh, good. And, uh,